It is so good to be with you. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Natalia, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at E. And this morning, I'm going to invite you to say yes to something new. But before we get there, I want to ask you a question. What does every New Year's resolution have in common? It fails. I hope that's most, but not all. Any other commonalities? Hopeful. I love that. Okay, uh, second question. Are New Year's resolutions like so three weeks ago, or are we like still working on them? Are you still working on them? Did they get derailed by some snow maybe? Well, the thing that each New Year's resolution has in common is change, right? Throughout the year and our lives, we're inundated by ads on social media and Google, and especially Pinterest recipe pages. Have y'all tried to cook recently from a recipe on the internet? I, I am, cooking is not my first love, I will admit it, and so it takes me a lot to make it there in the first place. But then when I have to, you know, lose my mind, like Xing off all of the pop-ups and muting the videos, I don't know, I might just not cook. <laughs> Maybe you're there with me. Well, the thing that all ads have in common is the promise of change. So if you get this multi-cooker, you will magically love cooking. I tried that one. What do you think happened? Do you think I love cooking now? I don't love cooking now. Um, the Instant Pot makes life a little bit easier, maybe, but I am still not a fan of most things that happen in the kitchen. And I am light years grateful that we discovered Brayden is a much better cook than I am. <laughs> Thank you, hon. We redistributed responsibilities, and my life is really great for that. Um, so the difference between an ad on the internet, TV, radio, and our own New Year's resolutions is that the New Year's resolutions require us to change. The resolution won't change us, our follow-through will. Our actions will. However, New Year's resolutions have the potential to be so helpful because we say yes once. We set the goal once. I found I am most successful with these resolutions if I decide to say yes once and then decide that the decision has been made. It's done. Am I interested? in going to Starbucks? Yes, absolutely. You could probably guess that. But I already decided I won't because I'm doing something called a no-buy month. I already made the decision. And I already know why I made it, too. Learning to lean on God and his provision rather than quick fixes for my perceived needs like caffeine and cake pops perceived needs, this is an important reminder that I need repeatedly. So I'm going to invite you to say yes to something new, to decide to do something potentially uncomfortable, and to be humble enough to try something again. Early in the pandemic, as with many others, I struggled with anxiety. I've actually experienced intense anxiety as a response to normal situations for most of my life. And as our work and social support structures crumbled as a response to quarantine, so did my well-being and my distractions. When I didn't think it could get any worse, what do you think happened? 
it got worse. It did. Maybe that happened to you too in the pandemic. So I woke up one day in that season and I had trouble breathing. I couldn't, I could breathe, but not very well. My throat felt constricted, and the more that I talked on Zoom calls or to my husband or our roommate at the time, the issue worsened. And for months, I went to doctor's appointments and took tests and started anxiety medication, and still it persisted. Maybe the last few years have felt this way for you. We start off the year with good intentions, and things seemingly out of our control derail the progress. And I mean, January is snow ice storm. Like, that was unexpected. Maybe that derailed some things for you, some work, some resolutions. I don't know. But when things derail our life, we just want it all to change. We want to have some control and influence on the situation. We want the world around us to be different. But as you've probably come to discover, there is only one entity that we have some power over, and it's ourselves. If we want our lives to change, if we want our lives to get better, to be our best selves, I'm here to tell you that we cannot do it alone. Let's turn to our neighbor and say, we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We can't. We really can't. We can't do it alone. So <clears throat> in the Bible, as Jesus taught and served and traveled, he brought 12 guys along with him and a few gal pals too. And during their time together, the guys and the gals became disciples, and they began learning from Jesus' example and teaching, and then served alongside him, and eventually took the skills that they learned to minister on their own. Here at Evergreen, we believe that we're called to do life in community. This value is inspired by Jesus' example of life, friendship, growth, and discipleship in community. While his teachings and his disciples brought together groups of people that became modern-day churches, Jesus also did life in his own small group. So we believe that we should too. So there are a few things that fascinate me about the disciples. Actually, more than a few things, but I'm only going to share two with you this morning. The first is that they were very different people. They had different jobs and trades, and they lived in different areas of the region, and they had pretty much nothing in common. So here's a TikTok that kind of explains the disciples' lives before Jesus. So clearly this is um, in jest. I found another great TikTok that was the disciples in corporate America and their jobs that they would have. If you get bored, that's a fun one to think about. So the second thing that I noticed when about the disciples is that they didn't seek this out. They didn't wake up one day and say, man, I really, I just really want someone to come into my life who will make me uncomfortable and do things in a new way and hang out with the outcast and produce transformational change in my life. At least not with, that we know of. I don't remember reading that anywhere. If I put myself in the disciples' shoes, I can't say I've ever woken up and been like, 
man, I really want someone to just like turn my life upside down today. That sounds great. Like, right? I, I love reading the Bible. I love reading about the disciples because I find them so relatable and I think it's very fun and life-giving. So Jesus showed up in their disciples' everyday, mundane, normal life and was like, hey, come follow me. Come with me. So when John, one of the first disciples, met Jesus, within 24 hours of meeting him, he asked Jesus, hey, where are you staying? Slash, like, what's up? And Jesus said, well, come and see. And again, if I put myself in the shoes of the disciples or of Jesus, if I have just met you, wouldn't it be weird if I was like, hey, where do you live? Where are you staying right now? How are you doing? Like, that would be interesting. Jesus' life was pretty interesting. But I just, I think it's amazing that with these um, maybe intrusive or personal questions, Jesus was like, why don't you come and see, man? And really what he said is, come watch me. Come hang out. It's going to be great. I'm going to turn people's lives and expectations and such upside down. It's going to be awesome. Do you want to come with me? Like, that's, that's what I envision happening. Maybe I'm adding some personality to it. Well, the 12 disciples didn't just consume um, or benefit from their leader. They learned and changed and were motivated to act. Even though they didn't pick each other as friends, for the most part, and didn't even actually pick their leader. They didn't, like, sign up for that small group and be like, yeah, I want to do that. Um, they grew as a result of doing life with people different from them. Jesus didn't make them change, but being so close to a changed person, an amazing person, made them hunger for what he had to be like him. In Matthew 10, we get a summary of the 12 disciples. You can read that on screen. You're probably familiar with many or all of these names, maybe even their stories of how they came to be a part of the crew of 12. Well, before Jesus' death, about halfway through the approximate, like, three-year span that the disciples traveled and ministered with Jesus, Jesus commissioned the disciples to minister. They learned and grew together as a small group and then used this place of relational fullness and abundance with each other and with Jesus in order to minister to others. These 12, sent, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions— do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go and find the lost sheep of Israel, the people who don't know hope yet. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. I want you to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse those who have leprosy, to drive out demons. You have freely received, so freely give. This is the commission he gave them. And man, did the world change from their own self-change and group growth and surprise three-year repeated new year resolution with Jesus. The commissioning and empowering of the disciples wasn't the end of their friendship either, except maybe eventually for Judas. So we're meant to do life in community, in groups, even us introverts. Small groups are where we find the fellowship that Jesus modeled for us with his disciples. 
They're where the introspective work is done, whether that is processing or healing, growing, observing, learning, practicing, or any other number of things. They are the people and places and interests where we choose to spend our valuable time knowing that God nurtures something beautiful out of it. Jesus also modeled outward service through teaching and healing, serving, listening, and so much more. And throughout their time together, Jesus taught the disciples and many listeners about life values, being a good person and community member. He healed and fed and fasted and took time to be alone. What I've come to notice is that the disciples grew because they were together. This wouldn't have happened if it weren't that they all did it together. It wouldn't have happened if Jesus, if God hadn't brought them together. Having the 12 disciples was no random thing, right? No mistake, but it was God's design for what was going to be happening in the future of the church. Like 12 guys and Jesus are the reason we're here right now. Isn't that crazy? Like a small group is why we're here right now. A small group is what has modeled so much of our lives. And that small group leader, Jesus, was the leader worth following, right? The disciples actively engaged in the process of learning and they asked questions. After at least a year and a half of traveling together, the disciples finally asked him, hey, so what, Jesus? why do you talk in parables? Like, I can't imagine going a year and a half of following a leader or a teacher and having, like, this burning question of, like, why do you talk this way? Why do you teach this way? Can't you just, like, tell it straight? You've got to tell stories. Like, a year and a half, the disciples were like, man, this is pretty wild. So finally, they ask him, and then Jesus explains that he teaches in stories and parables in order to help people understand. He knew that people didn't want to be handed more things to believe or told what to believe, but to hear stories that they could relate to and that would help them unravel the truth for themselves. The hard questions and the embarrassing ones were not off the table with Jesus, but it might have taken the disciples a little while to ask. Small groups are a space of intentional participation. You will only get out as much as you are willing to put in. Grouping together is saying yes to an opportunity to growing alongside others in a committed and structured environment. Sundays are something powerful that we gather for. But if we're real with ourselves, much of our life and our faith journeys happen in the days and the hours between Sundays. But before we talk more about this value, I want to pause with a disclaimer. Small groups or building a tribe or maybe rebuilding a tribe, that's something that a lot of us have had to experience or might be experiencing in the next season. All of this will make us uncomfortable. I promise you. We are enriched by doing life with people who are different than us. You live in different areas, eat different foods, parent differently, vote differently. Awesome. That's the whole point. We don't grow and change if we're surrounded by people just like ourselves. Growing is never easy. If you feel these feelings or you're getting to know someone that's making you a little uncomfy, just know that you're going the right way. 
Keep going. Don't stop. Because Jesus might just have the miracle of friendship on the other side of our discomfort. The disciples were very different people, and so are we. Okay, I do actually have one other disclaimer. We are not too well-versed, too different, too good, or too bad to be in a small group. I encourage you to try. And if you feel like that hasn't been working for you, let's talk. If you feel like there isn't a group for you at Evergreen, let's talk. Groups are open and you are welcomed and wanted, but I know that they're not one size fits all. And neither are you. We have opportunities in this year for more groups and new groups, and maybe you're meant to lead one. If that's the direction you might be going, focus now on being a leader worth following and a friend worth having. A friend that is life-giving and honest and a good listener. Small groups are practical. You may just find friendship, accountability, hope, encouragement, spiritual growth, enrichment, shared resources, and so much more. Small groups have the potential to pull us out of hard seasons, to pull us through with friendship and accountability. Throughout the Bible, we're exhorted to do life in community. And in Romans 1, a letter to the churches in Rome, Paul says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Here's where we gain another clue about the purpose of church groups. Mutual encouragement. I love that phrase, and I found that so helpful when I'm framing the purpose of small groups. The author of Hebrews wrote, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some do, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, we see this theme of mutual encouragement. Healthy relationship and the purpose of small groups isn't for things like gossiping or complaining, but to push each other forward, to be a space for healthy relationship growth. Maybe you've heard this one. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So my brother used to do custom metalwork, and when um, I read this verse this week, it made me dive down a whole new rabbit hole. Does that ever happen when you're reading the Bible? And um, I just piqued my curiosity, like, what are knives and knife sharpeners made of these days? Because last time I was walking down Costco, they had, like, some bougie gold knives and, like, multicolored rainbow, like, kitchen knives. And I was like, interesting. How does that work? So what I came to learn is that it turns out most knives are made of steel and the sharpeners are too. Maybe you've known that and I'm just new to this. But the difference is that each has different alloys or mixtures of materials and patterns and purposes to help each other function. That sounds a lot like us. So during the pandemic, when I started having breathing issues, it really freaked me out. I kept seeing doctor after doctor, and mid-2020 was a tricky time to get medical care and appointments, unless the issue was like really critical. And one night during that season, I woke up in the dead of the night, and I felt like worse than ever that I could not catch a breath. I was afraid that I couldn't get my next breath. Like I really didn't know I was laboring so hard. 
And I couldn't attribute a special reason for this issue escalating, nor was there anything that I could do to fix it because I didn't know what it was. I did get up, checked a pulse oximeter, drank some cold water, and laid back down, and then checked, texted my small group and asked for prayer. And I knew that at 2 a.m. it was unlikely anyone would see it, but it felt good like getting it off my chest and being reminded of how to respond to things outside of my control, which is prayer. I asked my friends to help me, and I prayed. And I knew that my friends would care for me. But if I'm honest, like I still felt alone in that moment. In the dead of the night, the whole world's asleep. It was me, and I couldn't breathe. And I needed to know that my suffering was seen and that I would have help of some kind. And so when I backed out of that group text thread, I saw that I had received a text from one of the gals in my small group earlier that night after I had gone to bed, and it was a text of prayer, encouragement, strength, friendship, and the fact that God put me on someone else's heart ahead of my struggle, that completely wrapped me in comfort and calm. I knew that I wasn't alone in that moment, and that I, I knew that it wasn't a surprise to God. And finally, after working with an amazing physician who handled my case with care, we discovered that I have vocal cord dysfunction, which basically means that when you talk or breathe, your vocal cords should be like vibrating and open and such, but mine were really restricted because I had a poor speech style, and um, some months of speech therapy helped that immensely. The morning after I had that intense breathing issue, I woke up to a stream of messages that came in during the hours of the morning following my text. Text from a mama awake early with her child. Another text from a friend who got up early, they were having issues sleeping. And everyone else as they woke. That season was so hard and confusing for so many reasons. But I made it out okay. Because of the community of believers who prayed on my behalf, who advocated for me, who encouraged me and strengthened me when I felt I had nothing left to give. They were not disappointed week after week when we had a Zoom or a text or whatever, and they asked, how are we doing? And I said, not great, still struggling, still can't breathe. They didn't leave me. They didn't get tired of me or tired of that. They stayed with me and prayed for me and came alongside me and then celebrated with me as things got better and we got answers. Sundays are not enough to sustain, sustain us spiritually. So would you consider joining a small group in this season? Say yes once. We have small groups starting the last week of January and the first week of February, including parenting groups and men's soap groups and women's study group and a women's soap group in Spanish, women's adventure group, Financial Peace University, Young Adults Crafting Group. I'm going to run out of breath like listing all of them, but there's a lot of great groups for you to consider. And we'll have new groups launching in April too. And you can find more information about our current groups on our website. There are also other ways of grouping within the church, like serving on a team together. There are lots of different ways that you can do that and ways that you can serve in the church. One of my favorite ways to stay in a group throughout the year is with serving opportunities. I get to do this with Guatemala missions teams each year. This is just one of the many ways that we can. And we have a trip this August. 
If you are interested, man, I would love to meet you at one of our interest meetings next week. They're at 12.30 on the other end. Let's chat. But here's why I love them. Our teams, we plan together, travel together, minister together. We laugh, cry, and get travel tummy together. When you have travel tummy with 10 other people, you bond in a special kind of way that I have never experienced before that. It is amazing. We're talking so much about body function that like, <laughs> it's real life. It's a real friendship. There is nothing like drinking a coffee in the wee hours of the morning and then getting on an eight hour bus ride and waiting to see who needs the potty break first. Spoiler, it is probably me. <laughs> or a group ice cream stop at 8 a.m. because we've been to Lulu in the bus for hours already, so we might as well get a creamsicle for breakfast. Like, grouping together is really fun. It is silly, and it is real. And small groups are not intended to only be inward-focused, but to be outward-focused, too. So when trying a group, whether it's for the first time or the 10th, there are two things that could change the game for you. I want to invite the band up. So the first thing is commit to being unapologetically yourself. I have been in multiple small groups where I didn't feel known, but eventually realized that I wasn't letting myself be known. I was holding back. And that's a natural thing to do when we're just getting to know people. But I'm not saying you have to like unload your baggage the moment you start a small group or like meet someone, but you are safe being yourself. We want to know you. Not any audited, perfectly articulate, expert, knock-your-socks-off prayer version of yourself. Just yourself. The second thing I want to invite you to consider is commit to humility and curiosity. When we have the opportunity to do life with others, learn from and with others, our natural bent is to draw a conclusion about other people. It's what our brain does to fill in the blanks. But if you try out a group, please try on humility and curiosity. Humility reminds us that our understanding of someone and their story is so limited. And curiosity helps us ask ourselves, man, I wonder what shaped this person in this way. I wonder what they've experienced. The beautiful thing about groups is that we will all read and perceive content differently and life differently. The same scripture or book or experience will strike us all differently. Eight pairs of eyes is always going to see more details than one. Learning and growing in a group allows us to hear and consider other perspectives and grow past our own bias. Let's prepare for the days ahead by engaging in group. Groups in the church, outside of the church, and that place in between. And before we close, I'd love to make an invitation to you. If you feel like there's an area of need or a small group opportunity that we're missing here at Evergreen, I would love to hear your thoughts. So please write me an email or grab one of those papers in the seat in front of you, write a note with your name, and pop it in one of the boxes. Thank you for being willing to say yes 
once. Let's pray. God, we're just so grateful for the change and the growth and the beauty that lies in the season ahead for each of us. We pray that as we prepare for this season and as we consider small groups and opportunities, whether inside or outside of the church, opportunities to connect with people, care for people, spread your love and light. God, we just pray that you'll give us the courage to participate, to say yes, to try something new, to love people different than ourselves up close as you did. I want to pray for those who feel like maybe they've been hurt by groups or friends in the past and now live with a fear of rejection or just lack the desire to try again. God, I want to pray for those who feel like they don't have their people, who walk in the church and maybe look around and say, I love this place, but I don't have my people yet. God, would you reveal to us the beautiful people around us and the friendships that have yet to form. Would you inspire us to sign up for a group or to approach someone and meet someone or whatever that may be? We know that you have richness and beauty that lies ahead within this community and within groups and within your people. And sometimes it's an opportunity for us to go out of our comfort zone and share love and light with people who don't know you yet. Discipleship maybe doesn't have to look exactly the way that we have thought it has to. It's not just pastors going out, but it's us. It's each and every one of us engaging in the community around us, in the places that we already go, in the people we already interact with, and just sharing with them love and hope. And as relationships grow, Jesus, would you give us the courage to share your message of hope? We are so excited to see what lies ahead in relationships and the beauty that you will unfold, Father. So help us to be bold and courageous. We believe in you and we trust you. Amen. <laughs>